Welcome to another episode of the Neon Belly Podcast. Uh, This is being recorded Monday, February 21st. And last week we did the parable of Marcelo Garcia. This week we're going to jump back into some technical discussion. Uh, Before we get into that, just a little bit of uh, info I wanted to put out there. I was going to say, if anybody wants to give any feedback, I am working right now on the outline for a DARS instructional. I've gotten some uh, requests to do something like this for a couple of years now, and COVID obviously made some things a little bit difficult with that. Um, I've had it as a goal for a while to, to do one one day. I have an idea that I think is a little bit interesting and different than a lot of stuff that has been done before. Um, There's a lot of great stuff out there, and I don't want to just put something out that's going to be a retread. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit more on the next podcast. We're going to go into some some tips to get, you know, more Darces in training. But in the meantime, if anybody wants to hit me up or send any ideas of things that they might like to see on a DARS instructional um, or a DARS, you know, series or something like that. If there's anything that anybody would specifically like to see, feel free to reach out and, you know, I would love to put it into an outline or take it into consideration. So yeah, just a little bit of house cleaning on that. This week, I wanted to talk about something that I think is a little bit underexplored. So in sharpening our submission skills, there are three categories that I really think come to mind. The first is moving from positions into different submissions. So this could be going from the back to the rear naked choke. It could be from going to mount to the arm bar or the arm triangle. That's sort of what I'm thinking for scenario one. For scenario two is going to be moving from submission to submission. So this could be the classic example that comes to mind is armbar, triangle, omoplata. When you're sort of in the neighborhood of one, you're in the vicinity of another one as well. It could also be like Kimura, Americana, straight arm lock with the figure four grip, uh, guillotine, anaconda, dars, ankle lock, heel hook, toe hold. Those are some examples. Um, Gi bravo choke baseball choke, you get the idea. The third scenario for improving at submissions is actually just improving at our finishing mechanics. So maybe we look at the rear naked choke in detail and we sharpen up how we actually finish the submission. You know, we look at the baseball choke or the mounted cross choke and how we actually sharpen up the tiny little details. I think the first scenario of going from position to submission, and the third scenario of sharpening up our actual submission mechanics are both fairly well explored. The second scenario isn't quite as explored. And the reason why this seems really topical to me today is there's a really cool new channel on YouTube called Gold Town MMA. They're filming a lot of rolling footage at the B team in Austin as well as 10th Planet Austin and they've been posting roles pretty much every day of you know Craig Jones, Nikki Rod, Ethan Crellinston, Nikki Ryan, Gabe Tuttle, um, Ben Eddy, a lot of really cool grapplers 
and I saw that they had posted a couple Ethan Krellinston roles. If you don't know who Ethan Krellinston is, you're probably not listening to the podcast, but if you don't know who Ethan is, Ethan is a member of the B team in Austin, and he was one of the members of the DDS before they sort of went their separate ways. And I hadn't seen Ethan roll in a long time. I believe he had like an ACL reconstruction and, you know, he's been off the scene for a little bit. So seeing some rolling footage from Ethan was kind of uh, surprising, like a real pleasant surprise. I actually had the opportunity to uh, roll with Ethan for a while in March of 2021. And also I got to see him roll with a bunch of other people. And, you know, it was a big seminar. And one thing I noticed he did during the rolls that really, really stood out to me was Ethan would, he would get fully locked submissions on people and then he would let go and continue the roll. So, I mean, obviously he submitted people during the roll, but there were a lot of opportunities where he clearly could have gotten the tap on somebody and then he would purposefully not get the tap and either let go and continue to either another position or he would just let go and go into a neighboring submission. So, and he was doing this all day and it just really stood out to me. You know, I've seen people do stuff like this before, but usually when I've seen it, it's been um, a couple people that come to mind that I've seen do this are Hoffa Mendez and Jeff Glover. But with them, it's been more like, you know, they sort of half-heartedly go for one submission and then use it to get to another submission or you know they lock up sort of one submission maybe three quarters of the way and then as soon as they feel a little bit of resistance they kind of use it as bait to get to what they really want to finish you know or they're really trying hard to finish a submission and they're getting some resistance and in the process of the person resisting they find an opening to get to another submission from there so what Ethan was doing was a little bit different, though, and I wish, uh, yeah, I guess I really shouldn't, I, we were, I was asked not to share the, the, the rolling footage from our role, um, so I, I guess I'll just describe it the best I can, but he was actually fully locking these submissions up, and I wanted to describe some of the benefits that I think this offers, because I've been doing this a lot since March of 2021, at that seminar that really left an impression on me and I wanted to express some of the benefits that it's given me and why I think it's something uh, you should try doing in your own training. The first thing that I have on my list here is we don't get a lot of practice moving from submission to submission in a live role or not nearly as much as we would in class in a drilling situation, which is very different, right? When we're drilling, I'm just going to keep using the example of armbar, triangle, omoplata. So if we're moving between those three submissions in a classroom context where an instructor has set up a specific pattern or drill for us to work, a transition between, you know, two or maybe three of those submissions, it's going to almost have a choreographed, rehearsed feel to it. And it almost has to because you know, that's how we drill. Everything is a little bit different in a real role or in a competition than it is even 
with a good training partner offering realistic resistance. There's just always a slightly different feel to how things really are when the rubber meets the road. And in a real role, if every time you get to an arm bar, you just become a dog on a bone and insist on finishing that arm bar, then there's merit to that. There's a lot of power and there's a lot of strength in being able to take one technique and just insist it on somebody and force it on somebody. There's a lot of value to that. But for what I'm discussing here, I think there's also a lot of value in being able to get that armbar to a position where you feel like I could fully finish this if I applied my finishing mechanics, but I want to get practice at feeling under pressure, under stress, what it feels like to move from armbar to a triangle or armbar to an omoplata. Or maybe I want to feel what it's like to have a guillotine that I think I could finish, but, you know, hook sweep them overhead and transition to an anaconda. It's just a different feel under pressure. And the only way to really spend a lot of time here is to force ourselves to do it. We stay on offense. We stay in these cycles where we are still on the attack. And that is something that we kind of have to put into our own hands and take control. This isn't necessarily something that somebody is just going to tell us to do. You know, I, I think one of the critical skills of becoming um, an intermediate grappler to an advanced grappler is learning how to teach yourself, learning how to coach yourself. And this has been just one of the biggest things that has helped my ability to flow from submission to submission. So another great reason, and this second reason here has sort of two components to it, is you're able to stay on offense longer without a break in the momentum. So if you were to finish your training partner with an arm bar, and then you have to break, slap hands, bump fists, reset the roll, you know, maybe you have to pass the guard all over again or you have to sweep them or you have to attack an armbar again from the bottom there's just a break in the action and you know it it gives you a ton of momentum to stay in the driver's seat and stay on offense and it's a sort of practice that you just don't get if you finish every single submission that you do if you have more of this full catch and release style, you're spending more time on in the driver's seat. And this is a real confidence builder. You know, you hear a lot of people like Marcelo Garcia, Hodger Gracie, Hoffa Mendez, John Danaher, Braulio Estima, Craig Jones, Gordon Ryan. You hear a lot of these people talk about how they spend a lot of their time training with lower belts where they can just run offense on them. This is a big reason why you get good at offense by doing offense. When you roll with people that are better than you, you generally get to build a lot of defensive skills. When you roll with people that are about your own skill level, you build a lot of skills and development in, you know, intensity and and pushing your cardio and working your specific A game, but when you're able to really roll with people where you can run offense on them over and over, that's a huge, huge confidence booster that you can then carry into roles against people that are your same skill level 
or even higher skill levels than you and have a little bit more confidence. So for example, uh, I'm going to get away from the armbar. I'm going to plot a triangle example. So I I'll just switch it here and I'll just say, um, let's say guillotine, Dars, Anaconda. If you get good at running between those three submissions, the next time you roll with somebody that is your own skill level or even better than you, if you get them in one of those threats, if you threaten one of those subs on somebody that's better than you, the likelihood of you finishing any of them on that person increases big time. Because let's face it, if you get somebody better than you in just one submission, the chances of them getting out are probably pretty strong. But the chances of them being able to get out of a second follow-up submission and then a third follow-up submission, you just keep throwing shots at them. And eventually, when you're on offense, you're dictating the pace, you're in the driver's seat. And if you're running from submission to submission without having to reset to different static positions in between, then your chances of finishing that person are really going to increase dramatically. Now, this comes at a cost, right? If you just train like how I'm describing right here, you're not going to get the practice and the reps on the specific finishing mechanics. That's really important too. If you get a million arm bars on people, but you don't have the time in the driver's seat finishing the arm bar, you don't have those reps, but you're not going to arm bar a lot of people. But there's just sort of a balance and, and a line that you need to walk. Third reason that I have down here is honestly just cardio. If you are tired, if you're gassed, but you are in a position during the roll where you're on offense, not having to break and slap hands and reset with somebody is a big, big advantage to being able to get your wind back. So if you are, uh, if you are in an arm triangle, you took the mount you know, you got the elbow above the head, you know, you swam your, your arm around the neck, you clasped your hands together, you dismounted and you start working the arm triangle. If you fully sell out on that arm triangle, maybe get yourself a little bit tired and you get the tap, but you were already tired before you went to that arm triangle at all. Well, then when you reset and you slap hands, you might be fried for the rest of that roll totally gassed but if you rewind time and you go for that arm triangle you don't sell out for the finish you get a little bit of practice in the position you kind of get your body positioning to where you think all right if I sold out for the finish here I think I could probably get it but now there's still two minutes left in the clock I'm breathing pretty hard I'm pretty tired there's still a few rolls left tonight uh, I'm gonna allow this person to turn away a little bit. They're already wanting to turn away to get out of my arm triangle. So let me just let them turn away a little bit and try to uh, pummel my forearm in for a rear naked choke as they turn away. So then all of a sudden you pummel that in and you've got a rear naked choke on them. You know, maybe you don't have your hooks in yet, but they're in another submission. And maybe this one you decide, hey, I do want to sell it on this one, get a tap before this round is over. Uh, or maybe you don't. Maybe you use that as an opportunity to keep the rear naked choke and then chair sit behind the head to finish taking the back uh, or come up and throw in like a belt line hook. Um, 
and then maybe just reset back on the mount. There's just a ton of different ways you can play these situations, but I think one thing a lot of people, a lot, a lot of people do is they're super tired. They see a look at a submission and they rush to get that submission to get the finish because they want to win the round. And I've seen so many people do that. And then when they reset and slap hands for the next roll, they're fried and then they get smashed for like the last two minutes of the roll. Maybe they got that one tap, but then all of a sudden they're really, really suffering for the rest of the round and they're not maximizing their energy efficiency. They're not getting their win back. So this has become one of my favorite things to do this year when I'm rolling and I'm tired, but I'm in the driver's seat. I'm like, well, I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to stay in the driver's seat. I'm on top. You know, maybe I have an arm isolated. I'm working like a Kimura. I'm just going to keep working this Kimura. And when I feel like I can finish the Kimura, I'm going to throw in uh, a side triangle. And once I throw in the side triangle, uh, instead of selling out for that, I'm going to come back on top and then start working a far side arm bar. So I just stay in the family of a certain submission and I'm able to sort of breathe, focus on my breathing, relax and get my win back. And then when the round is over, And I go into the next round, I'm a lot more rested and a lot more ready to give the next round 100%. The last benefit that I have written down to doing this is it's going to really open up the doorways and the windows that you see for different submission connections. There are just so many branches on the tree between everything that some may seem intuitive, some may not. Some arm, some examples that we've talked about are really, really obvious. You know, everybody kind of knows that, you know, the knee bar and the toe hole go together. The the cross choke and the arm bar go together. Uh, But there's some less obvious ones, especially when we start thinking about the differences in upper body attacks and lower body attacks. Not a lot of people think about going from uh, a Kimura grip to a leg lock. Um, Not a lot of people think about going from an inside heel hook attempt to coming up onto Kimura attacks or front headlock attacks uh, when that person is defending their legs very well. When you jump from submission to submission you start to feel kind of loose and free and the creative juices start flowing and you start thinking about connections that you might not think about otherwise if you're just always tunnel vision focused on pursuing the submission, getting the tap at all costs. I know that that's sort of the in-fashion goal right now and maybe it always has been. It's probably a topic for another conversation another episode, but whether or not you think the end goal of jiu-jitsu should always be about the submission or not, I think we all can agree that right now there is a lot of focus around making sure to get the submission. And that is important, but one of the ways to do that is to make sure the connections are there. Like I said, all three skills have to be in place, moving from position to submission, moving from submission to submission, and moving Uh, 
or rather not moving but clamping down and developing the actual finishing mechanics to either get the break on the joint lock or you know the choke or the strangle finish whatever word you like to use uh, if you got a hold of the neck once all three skills are in place you're going to have a pretty robust submission game but the second one is the one I wanted to focus on on this episode one caveat I wanted to say about all of this is that occasionally you might have a training partner that kind of gets rubbed the wrong way by this they might think that you're trying to like stunt on them or that you're just trying to like flex on them or that you're kind of trying to just like show off and that just sort of comes with the territory in my opinion most people are not rather in my experience most people are not going to take this the wrong way especially if you're like a purple belt or above if you're a lower belt and you do this on somebody i you know i don't know i don't have as you know much experience I, I, this is a pretty new practice to me mostly within the past year so um i'll ask a couple of of uh blue belts i train with that i know do this a little bit and i'll see if they've had different experience feedback than me I haven't really had anybody overtly tell me that you know they thought this was rude or anything like this I just think I I can see when I'm putting on like my big picture glasses I can see a couple people not loving this being done to them or maybe being a little bit demoralized I know I've trained with people before that would like pass my guard and instead of holding it for three seconds they would um, kind of go back in front of my legs and then do another pass again or I've had people you know sweep me but instead of coming on top and holding the sweep they sort of let me base back out and then they work another sweep and I know when I was like a lower belt and feeling that done to me sometimes I would get kind of demoralized like oh man this person's just toying with me they could have just finished me if they had the chance like I really wish they would have just done that instead of like make me feel stupid and you know just over and over you know, just keep hitting me with the same stuff when they could have just put me away. Um, so when I think about that and I put myself in those shoes I used to be in, I guess I can see, uh, you know, this rubbing certain people the wrong way. But I think if you're just open, if you're an authentically good person, an authentically cool training partner, people know that you're training for the right reasons and that you always have a project you're working on. You, know, you don't have to advertise to everybody that you're doing this, but if somebody comes up and asks and says like, hey man, you had me in eight submissions tonight, you know, you only finished one of them, like, why didn't you finish any of the other ones? You can just be real open about what you're working on, you know? If you're at Open Mat, you can tell people that you're working on this, um, but you don't, you know, don't feel obligated to do that either. I think that you know, it's just, it's up to you how much you want to divulge and maybe you don't even care, but I just wanted to put that out there in case that was like something that anybody was thinking about. I take a lot of pride on being the kind of person that everybody enjoys training with and everybody can get something from training with. I, I want to give, you know, other brown and black belts tough roles. I want, you know, even if I'm tapping out lower belts like I still want to be able to give them enjoyable roles too so I really care about what other uh what my other training partners think about me you know for better or worse 
I do care to some extent. So I have told some people that I'm working on this. Um, but again, don't feel obligated to. And the very last thing I would say is just, you know, keep your ego in check. Again, if you put someone in nine submissions in one round and you only finish two of them, don't go around and be the person that is saying, yeah, I had such and such in, in nine submissions. I could have tapped them out nine times in that role, but I only tapped them out twice. You know, don't like brag and, you know, you didn't. You, you tapped them twice. You know, could you have finished every submission you had them in? Maybe, you know, but we don't know, right? So I think it's a good idea to just don't, like, keep your ego in check a little bit. Don't let it get too much to your head. And don't think that just because you had someone in three arm bars, four triangles, six guillotines, eight heel hooks, that you could have just blown someone totally away in the round like there's a lot of those that might not have finished you know that's not the goal of this targeted style of practice so that would really be the last thing that I would say about that um, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap up here and again just say you know thanks so much for the support this is really uh exciting stuff the parable of Marcelo Garcia that one has gone over pretty well um you know, one of the bigger episodes so far in terms of feedback and just how it's done and things like that. I'm really excited to work on this uh, long-term DARS project for the year. Um, I'll probably talk a little bit more about that on the next episode. Uh, I've seen a ton of cool reviews um, that people have left. I've, I'm really, again, always flattered by the, the feedback and stuff that I get and the people that have reached out and said different things. So if there's anything you want me to talk about, feel free to drop me a line. Let me know. I do have a few things in the queue. I've had uh, a couple requests to talk about, you know, how to train and avoid injuries, how to, you know, train as you get older and develop a game that works as you get older. That might be one of the next episodes we do. But um, yeah, uh, I also want to talk about more uh, competition stuff. So the next time that there's a big competition, I'll probably do an episode the next day, breaking it down. I might do an episode before the next big competition and maybe give some picks and talk about uh, talk about the event. Uh, I'm going to work on having more people on the podcast. So uh, do more interviews, um, more conversations with people. And again, we're going to work on getting like some video options. I would like to do some match breakdowns, uh, narrated rolling footage, stuff like that. I know I probably talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm still trying to learn some video software editing stuff. I'm trying to find a better studio to work in for the podcast instead of having to kind of record it guerrilla style. So thanks everyone for being patient with me. I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad that everybody so far likes it as much as they do. That's all I really care about for now. I'm going to keep trying to make an enjoyable product for everybody. Appreciate all the support. Love to everyone. Appreciation to everyone. Have fun. Stay safe. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Peace.